Hi there, folks, and welcome or welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajimam, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by our sponsor, Humble Bunny, the best bilingual English and Japanese web design and e-commerce implementer here in Japan. If you've got a business, big or small, or are working for a business that needs a better online presence, hit them up on inquisitive at humblebunny.com. Ask to speak with Nate. Tell them you heard about the company here on the podcast, and they'll sort you right out at very reasonable prices. Can't go wrong with these guys. Okay, so this episode, it is yet another recording of our increasingly popular um, Japan Real Estate Investment Room on Clubhouse. That's every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Japan Standard Time. We've been getting more and more people joining, and our experts panel, myself for all things related to investment, Emil Gorgis, who's a Tokyo-based real estate agent who specializes in family homes and mortgages for expats, and Tracy Northcott, who's joined us a bit late this time around, and she's our resident short-term stay in Airbnb expert. And we've also got Daphne Thompson co-moderating with us, uh, and she, you probably know by now, is an online marketing expert and property investor in her own right. And on this occasion, we've also been joined by Jason Ball, who's co-founder and manager of the Business in Japan Network, BIJ, which is the biggest LinkedIn group related to business in Japan. They've got well over 60,000 members now, uh, most of whom are either living and conducting business in Japan uh, or with Japan. And this particular chat was very loosely labeled with a subtopic of residential versus commercial properties but really just a very loose envelope. We did, as you'll hear, delve into quite a few other topics as well, from mortgages and growth metrics to short-term stays, buying your own, uh, buying for your own use as opposed to buying for investment, and a bunch of other topics, as always seems to be the case. Now, if you'd like to join us for this weekly conversation, that's, again, every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Japan time. And if you don't have a Clubhouse membership just yet, do hit us up in the comment section or any other way, and we'll try to send an invitation your way. So Clubhouse is still an invitation-only platform. You do need to have someone send you an invitation to join. So enjoy the chat, especially the Q&A, which I thought was very interesting this time. And I shall see you again on the other side. So we'll do a quick round of introductions. Um, my name is Ziv. I run a uh, buyer's advocacy and portfolio management company uh, servicing foreigners who are um, mainly non-residents in Japan, but quite a few who are residents in Japan and are interested in um, buying and managing and selling investment properties anywhere in the country. We mainly focus on areas where Japanese real estate professionals who can service people in English are a bit um, more difficult to come by, but we do occasionally do some um, Tokyo, Niseko, um, Okinawa deals, even though those areas do tend to have more real estate speaking professionals. And I'll pass this on to Daphne on my right. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Daphne. I am a digital marketer, and I like to partner up with various founders with phenomenal products in order to grow together, because I believe when you win, I win, and we do revenue share. I'm also an avid investor, and I love these conversations with Ziv, so thank you so much for being here. Over to you. Hey, everyone. Um, yeah, my name is I'm a uh, real estate agent here in Tokyo, and I help uh, individuals um, find their own uh, home for their personal family use. Uh, and we also act as a, a mortgage broker, so we liaise directly with banks and can coordinate your financing for you. So any questions you have about buying your own property, the house itself, or financing uh, for personal use, uh, feel free to either ask me here on this platform or uh, send me a message on Instagram, send me a DM on Instagram, and we can uh, 
And we've also got Jason here. Jason, um, you're not officially a, a co-host or moderator, but you're definitely uh, the unofficial co-host and moderator of most of these rooms. So why don't you give us a brief introduction of who you are? <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Certainly I'm interested in, in property. Sorry, I couldn't make 12.30, something came up at the last minute. Emil? But, uh, yeah, very interested. And just on the subject, if I were to buy a place in Tokyo or even back in Australia where I'm from, I would be interested in being able to run a business from legally from from you know, the ground floor or something like that and and would imagine that it in some cases adds resale value resale attractiveness in many cases would that be true I think uh, things would vary, Emil will probably elaborate on that, but things would vary significantly, number one, in Australia versus Japan, and number two, whether it's a home or an apartment, wouldn't it, Emil? Yeah, so in terms of the value, in order to be able to run a, a, a shop front or an office, like you know, I think the first floor being all just nice glass and, and people can come in and out of that building, um, it needs to be in a zoning that is not restricted residential. Okay, so it needs to be in the zoning that is appropriate. Like, think of like a, a short end guy, a shopping strip, commercial, right? So you can have houses, some houses in the short end guy, but um, you can also have, you know, lots of foot traffic there. Now, the thing is, the zone, because the zoning, the location is different, the price is also going to be different. It's not necessarily more attractive to, to people, okay? Um, you can... So because the zoning is different, the location will be slightly different. It will be generally closer to the station, right, is where they have the more commercial districts. But it doesn't necessarily mean that because this property has the ability to use an office, it's worth more. Not really. Um, it, uh, rather, it, um, it's going to be in a location where all the buildings in that area uh, in the same zone and can also be used for commercial use. It's not just your one property in particular has that ability. So your one, your property will be the same kind of price as it will be the immediate neighbors and the immediate surrounding properties. Makes sense. So it's basically only going to be more attractive to someone who's looking for that. They're looking for that than others in the area will have it. Yeah, well, even in the area, like the immediate, if you're zoned in sort of, if you're by the short end guy, the commercial strip, then you're going to be the same price as the the, the like the square meter value. It's going to be the same as the immediate surrounds anyway, right? Because they are all they are all permitted to have that usage, right? And it does so. You're not actually getting your one property is not going to be worth more per square meter than the one next door, because the one next door will also have the same permissions as yours, right? Um, it's going to be different to the ones that are in the back street, though, in, the, in a different zoning, residential-only zoning. But it's hard to say which one is worth more because the ones in the residential zoning are actually more attractive to residential tenants. People don't want to live on the short end guy. I don't want my kids running out on the street in the short end guy. I don't want to live there. It's noisy and it's not so private. So it's really hard to say. It's not, like, it's not more valuable. It's a completely different type of. It's a um, it, it's what the market price is. So, uh, yeah, there's no. It, it's more sort of what you think for your specific need. 
I'll just add one thing to that um, from our perspective here in Japan. So if we are talking about these, um, for example, mixed-purpose uh, apartment buildings where the, um, the building owner union, the kumiai, actually allows people uh, to lease the properties out as offices or as residential apartments, the main advantage from our perspective is just that we've got a much wider tenant base. So vacancies tend to be, um, tend to be shorter because if we can't, immediately find a residential tenant, we can definitely advertise the place um, as an office as well. And then we'll get a lot of, um, again, like Emil said, not really shop front properties or places that have a lot of food traffic, like a nail salon or a restaurant or a bar. But we could definitely get um, uh, little language schools, after hour schools, um, lawyers, accountants like to hire, uh, like to rent these kinds of properties. So it just gives us more access to more tenants um, and more diversity also when the economy um, when the economy takes an uptick or or um, or is trending down then that might affect the commercial property um, rentals uh, positively or negatively whereas residential rents will probably stay about the same so again it just gives us more diversity and more things that we can do with the property but it doesn't necessarily affect its price that's correct it does uh, I'm gonna add no, sorry, it's ongoing um, there's less interest from it, it, a mixed commercial and residential property is not as attractive to residential tenants. Because um, as a resident, I don't want my neighbor to be in our salon and have strange people come in and out. So it, it's a different kind of uh, proposition, especially if it's a three-bedroom apartment, for example, that's designed for a family, right? Um, families in particular with kids don't want to be in that kind of building that has uh, clientele coming in and out as well. Definitely. I think that's, Emil, that's again the uh, main difference between uh, your business and our business is that we mainly deal, because we're dealing mainly with investors who are looking for high yields, uh, we deal mainly with the um, what we like to call the cash cows. So these are properties that um, are very affordable to buy into and tend to generate high percentage yield. And those are usually uh, one bedroom, maybe two bedroom tops. And the people who rent out these properties, um, A, would normally not have a family and B would not really be spending that much time in the property and also they can't be as picky as uh, families so we actually haven't had a problem but again we're talking about smaller older studio maybe one bedroom units um, so for us it's been a boon but I completely get why a family wouldn't want to live in these uh, kind of mixed purpose buildings yeah yeah I think yeah, we're, we're definitely in agreement on the, the style of property but you know, so for Jason, if you were to want a, a three-bedroom place for yourself and then you want the commercial upside when you leave and turn it into an investment, um, chance, like there's a, a chance that you may not like whilst you're living there. You may not like it whilst you're living there because there's commercial properties immediately around you. But I, I'm, I'm going to leave that I'm going to leave that particular point there. I think we can move on with Thanks, this. Thanks, And just to, to introduce myself uh, for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Jason, Australian, 18 years in Japan, Golden Week, at least uh, 2003 I arrived. And I run the largest group on LinkedIn related to Japan and business, all business in Japan. So, uh, it was about the 54,000th group uh, that there ever was on LinkedIn, so one of the early ones, 13 years ago. There's now been more than 4 million groups created. Um, and we have 63,500 members, and I'm this year turning uh, a percentage of those members into collaboration partners, creating a partner network 
for um, very clear strategic introductions to help people interested in doing business in with or related to Japan. So let me know if I can help you. Okay, and with that, um, we'll move on to Mick. Mick, did you have a question? I do, and I, I, if I, I'm in the wrong room, I sincerely apologise. That I just have a specific question here. Um, I live in Sapporo, and uh, I would like to um, find a real estate agent to find a commercial property in Tokyo. And living in Sapporo was uh, rather difficult. Um, so my 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 question is. Um, do you, can you guys help me or can you guys give me an introduction to something that uh, if you can't do it, somebody else may be able to do it. Uh, thank you. Um, strictly, um, strictly, strictly Japanese, Mick, are you okay with um, an agent who may not be able to communicate in English? That's fine. Well, we can definitely direct you to many of those and I'm sure Emil can as well. So if you want to um, just uh, click on our profile, send us a message. Um, either Emil or I. I mean, if it's in Tokyo, Emil would definitely be the person to speak with, I think. Sorry, I dropped out for a second. I just had to come out. I completely missed the question from me about after you live in Hokkaido. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, um, I would love to know whether you can help me with commercial, uh, looking for a commercial space in Tokyo. And I know that's a big, that's a big area to, to talk to, but if I can talk to a real estate agent or talk to you, um, regarding looking for a um, commercial uh, space in Tokyo. That's, if you can't do it, if you can give me an introduction, I'd be most appreciative. Is that to rent or buy? Uh, to rent. Okay, um, so send me a message. And so we have rental team in our office. Um, uh, so we can help you with that. It's not what I do, personally. But have you, you speak Japanese fine, right, Mick? Yeah, no problems. Sure, okay, yeah, I'll put you in touch with one of our staff. And, uh, Super. The, Thank the you very much. Thank you for allowing me up to ask that question. Cheers, guys. No, no worries at all. So just a quick reset of the room. We had a few people join us. This is the Japan Real Estate Investing Room. And we've got a kind of non-official subtopic today of commercial versus residential. And we have um, started speaking about that. But if anyone's got questions that are not related uh, strictly to commercial versus residential, um, feel free to come on stage, raise your um, hand. That's a little button at the uh, bottom there. And we'll bring you up to the, to the stage to speak. This room is being recorded, but we're only going to be referring to you by your first names or nicknames. And it's only the audio that we're going to use. So if anyone's got any questions, uh, go for it. Thanks, Ev. You know me, I also got a few questions. How has the pandemic um, affected the commercial market, specifically in Tokyo? Um, so that's a really good question. Generally speaking, it really depends on the sector. So Emil was um, previously referring to a commercial as uh, being mainly offices or shops. So there is office, there is retail, but there are also other types of commercial properties. So there's logistics, uh, which is shipping and warehouses and so forth. And there are data centers. And there are uh, nursing homes, which are, of course, a uh, uh, very popular asset class in Japan. So each of these segments has been affected uh, a bit differently. Um, so firstly, in times of crisis, and especially uh, in crisis where people can't actually leave their homes, like the pandemic, um, the first victims are usually the hospitality and the retail properties. So they've taken a pretty serious hit. Retail was um, taking some hits for a long time now, as opposed to hospitality, because e-commerce has been on the rise, and a lot of people have been shopping 
um, either less or for different products in brick and mortar shop. So retail has actually gone through a bit of a, a repurposing and rethinking uh, a couple of years, even prior to the pandemic. Um, and that, that hasn't changed. So they, they have been uh, further trending down. Hospitality are probably the biggest victims because they were going up through the roof uh, in the lead up to the Olympics. And now all of the tourists are obviously gone. Offices have been affected to some degree in some segments. So, um, for example, tier A office space like the big and fancy central city uh, office towers have not been affected that badly yet. Rents have dropped down a little bit recently, but um, the, and so have occupancies, but they have been doing relatively well considering the uh, situation. Um, second, um, second tier office buildings and so forth have been uh, suffering a little bit more than that. Um, but on the other hand, logistics, for example, and um, data centers uh, have been doing very, very well as people are at home more and shopping more and um, shopping more online, I mean. Um, so there's been more and more demand for these types of properties. So it, it really depends on the segment. But compared to residential, they've all not been doing as well. Residential has actually been booming since the pandemic started. And something like shared workspaces? How has that been affected? Um, shared workspaces um, are still alive. They were sort of taking a backseat in the year previous to the pandemic as well, but they're still doing okay. Some of them are now more, um, have been repurposed into flex spaces. So because companies are um, resizing and sending some people to work from home when they can and uh, just doing a bit of reshuffling as far as the uh, floor space is concerned. So... A lot of these um, shared office spaces have been converted to flex spaces, meaning that the uh, people who lease these spaces can actually uh, change their floor space requirement by the month, as opposed to actual shared working spaces where you just get a desk or a little uh, half room or something of that sort. Um, but they're still with us. Another uh, segment that I haven't mentioned, um, not strictly commercial, but guest houses, uh, share houses, which have been doing well until the pandemic are now basically dead in the water because just nobody wants to share their living space with strangers these days. So that's also been affected. Very interesting. Um, yeah, this, I, found, I read this article online um, about that Tokyo was still named the number one city for cross-border investments for the second year in a row with um, Osaka actually ranking in the top 10. Have you guys been feeling that investment that's still continuing? And is it then mostly residential or commercial? Uh, we definitely have been feeling it um, all over Japan, but specifically in Tokyo and Osaka. Um, but mainly because uh, prices have been a little bit softer. And again, this is in our space. Emil has actually been experiencing a, a totally different uh, uh, dynamic. But in our space, which is strictly investment properties, um, Tokyo and Osaka prices are now softer, again, because of the pandemic and because a lot of people have been sitting on their properties and not selling because they thought the Olympics will uh, keep propping the values up. And then when the pandemic hit and the Olympics were postponed or canceled or whatever's happening to them at the moment, um, people started to panic a little bit. There's also quite a few, um, again, these guest house and share house kind of spaces that suddenly have no guests and no bookings and have to sell. Um, and that's obviously investors being 
opportunistic bastards that has reignited or uh, intensified interest in those uh, areas. So yes, for sure. Emil, and in, in your sector, have you felt this? Hey, so um, last year was just busy. There's, I haven't felt any, there's, there's been a lack of inventory. Uh, there's not a lot coming on. Um, anything that developers were building, preparing sort of last, like, uh, like in terms of like houses, standalone houses, um, stuff that was purchased and scheduled to be built um, just prior to the pandemic has already been built and sold. Um, last year, I think there just was not, I'm not seeing a lot of new listings come up, to be honest. Uh, in terms of brand new stuff, I suspect uh, developers were not buying up so much during the pandemic because of uncertainty. So there's not a lot of new uh, housing developments coming up right now. Um, and in terms of used properties, people that were um, People are not are thinking now is not a good time to sell, right? Even though we're still in a state of emergency. So let's just wait and see how it goes. So there's not actually not a lot of inventory. Of the inventory that is there, there's not, to be honest, it's just been pretty flat. There's not a big drop. It's not like a big decrease in price. Um, it's kind of the, the same as what it was, you know, 18 months ago. It's actually phenomenal that um, in your market that they were able to keep the price. I think that that actually shows the economy of Japan that is very stable, which I think is amazing. In some of the other um, areas that I do invest in, that has not been the case. That is very well, much like Steph was saying, the, <laughs> the opportunistic bastards. That's what's been happening there as well. One thing you need to keep in mind with uh, home purchase, like your personal home purchases, right? The buyer base... The, the home purchase buyer market hasn't really dropped. So in Japan, in order to get a home loan, like for your personal home loan, you need to be employed, like generally permanent employee at a stable, at a company have you know stable employment. Now people with stable employment haven't been losing their jobs. The people that are losing their jobs are people with part-time or nighttime kind of employment in the hospitality industry that was maybe casual or gig worker type stuff anyway or it's not being, they're not paid a lot to begin with. So they weren't typically the sort of people that you would expect to buy personal family homes. So the people that have sort of lost their jobs or been impacted by this, they weren't going to buy a place anyway. And the permanent employees, the Seishayim with families who are looking to buy their own place, they still have their job. So they can still buy. Um, they can still get financing. They're still able to buy because their situation hasn't really changed. So there's no, um, the buy pool hasn't shrunk as such, right? Um, because of job firings, etc. So that's just something to, to keep in mind. Uh, in, in Japan, at least in Australia, very very different situation. You will see though that the um, that the kinds of places that people are looking for are slowly migrating towards bigger spaces and more suburban areas, as opposed to. Um, um, the trend that has been in the, let's say, the last two decades of um, shrinking floor space and moving to condo units in central cities and conglomerating the smaller townships into the, um, into the bigger metro centers, that's not quite reversed, but there is a trend in the opposite direction now because people have been relegated to work from home. They need um, a bigger space. They need a home office. They need an extra room. 
they're not as concerned as um, they used to be with um, commute times. They're actually avoiding commute if they can. And also in the commercial sector, when, where offices are concerned, a lot of companies have been either resizing or splitting up their headquarters into a few um, suburban smaller offices so that they can cater to those people who are slowly moving away from the city centers. So there's been some shifting in both sectors, even though if, uh, even though prices haven't significantly gone up or down or it has flattened out price-wise, but the classes of properties that people are looking at and the layouts are a bit different. Definitely the home office space, the extra room for home office is, is a, a key requirement for people now. Let's uh, open it up again to open up the stage again um, uh, to, to the audience. So if anyone in the audience would like to ask a question about real estate um, investing or personal home purchase as well, which is what I do, uh, feel free to raise your hand and we can just bring you up on the stage and you can ask a question. Um, I do know there's sometimes you know, personal, some personal information people don't feel comfortable sharing. So if it's um, if you do want to reach out to any of us, um, feel free to come, uh, get onto our Instagram, um, our link through our bio, uh, through our bios, and send us a message. Um, uh, if it's about family home and personal uh, home financing, then that would be me. Um, and if it's about um, uh, uh, investment properties, then definitely to Ziv. So, Ed, welcome to the stage, man. Hi there. Uh, so, hi, I'm Ed. Uh, I live in uh, Melbourne, and at least pre-pandemic, I was spending, my, my wife and I were spending an increasing amount of time in Japan. And one of the things we've been considering is whether uh, we should add to the property portfolio with something in, probably in Tokyo, um, because one, we you know, look to do this as an investment opportunity, but also somewhere where we might move to in the future. And so, a couple—I mean, a couple of questions. I mean, where's where's the value in the in the Tokyo area? Um, uh, you know, where are the best opportunities? And then, are there any implications uh, related to? I mean, um, I'm implications related to transitioning a property from a uh, from a rental you know, from an investment into a residence um, thanks um, okay so there's a few a few things to maybe unpack there um, generally speaking but specifically in Japan your property selection criteria might be quite different if you're looking for an investment property or for a place that you'll be able to um, live in and enjoy on your own. And it, I mean, the, the line does become less, uh, the difference becomes less significant the smaller of a family you are. But if you're looking at um, a couple versus a single person or a couple with uh, kids versus a single person or a couple without kids, the properties that will actually be generating the best yields and giving you the best performances investments are probably not the ones that you would want to personally live in in most cases and the same goes for location tokyo might not necessarily be the best place because japan being japan people mainly invest here for uh, rental income and cash flow and the hassle-free nature of the uh, tenants and the professionals here and not so much for capital growth and from that perspective um 
there are much better locations around the country to generate better cash flow and better yield from a rental property. So if the main criteria is going to be a place that we're going to retire to or use um, when we're not in Japan, um, I would be looking at different properties. And if the main criteria is um, cash flow and rental yield, you're probably looking at other ones altogether. I guess the, um, the sweet spot might be, um, we don't have Tracy here, she's supposed to join us a little bit later, but um, she's an expert on short-term rentals. So those two worlds can meet um, if you're looking at properties that you'd be renting out short-term, either on a monthly basis or a real short-term minpaku uh, Airbnb style. And those are properties uh, that might be a bit more attractive if they're a little bit bigger and they may also be comfortable uh, maybe for a couple with a child, I think beyond the single child. And once the child hits uh, maybe junior high school age, it does become a bit small. But otherwise, these are properties that you might be comfortable uh, using on your own when you're in Japan. But otherwise, yeah, they're slightly different criteria and slightly different budgets and definitely different locations. So... There's not that much of a difference between them um, as far as owning them or purchasing goes. The process is pretty much the same. But as far as their functionality is concerned, um, you'll probably want to look at maybe different properties. And Emil can uh, explain more about that as it relates to Tokyo, which is a specialty. Yeah, so um, just on that note, about what you can, like the, the, the financing aspect, the purchasing aspect of, you know, like, because you don't live here, you're gonna likely you won't be able to get local Japanese financing, so you're gonna need to pay cash. If you want something suitable for your own personal lifestyle, it's gonna be you know in Tokyo, maybe 50 million, 40, 50 million yen up, right? It's almost half a million Aussie dollars upwards. Um, you'll you'll need to to pay cash, um, and if you have that much cash, chances are you probably want to live in a nice place. You probably have a certain level of affluency and and you want to live in a nice place. Whereas that doesn't really make sense in as an investment property, right? If you have that much cash and you want to, or like if you want an investment property, it might be, uh, you know, 10 to 20 million, you know, 100, 200, $300,000, um, and more like a one room or a, or a two, two LDK type of place, maybe not suitable for what, what you would want. Uh, so I, I try, trying, there's going to be, you, you can't get something that is going to be a great investment that can be also act as a great um, personal home, right? Do one or the other very well. So, and I kind of personally feel if you're going to do get an investment property, don't consider it that it's going to be your base when you come back to Japan in the un, like, uh, in, if you, if you're not sure when you're going to come back, or you're going to come back great into like, infrequently get something that's going to function well as an investment property and leave it as an investment and when you come here i'll get an airbnb property for the the few weeks that you're here that's what it is or if you if you actually want to be living here quite a fair bit get a place that's going to be nice to live in and um yes uh, our min papa queen tracy um can can manage for you whilst you're not here short-term stays while you're not actually in uh in uh, living in in the property but the idea is whether you're going to be there a lot or in very infrequently that completely changes the game thanks that's a, uh, that's actually really interesting and really useful and uh, some uh, some f uh, food for thought uh, but yeah I'll uh, 
continue listening in. It's uh, it's a good uh, good session. Oh, I see you're in you're in Melbourne now, so uh, yeah, that, that's that's where I grew up. So uh, just reading that on your profile, I, I felt nostalgic. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well, we're reasonably reasonably happy here in Melbourne. Although um, it would be nice if we could go, well, even even out of state without um, the fear of getting locked out. So. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah. Exciting times here. Just as an uh, as an added note, Ed, um, I'm mean, always referring to a uh, hundred, two hundred thousand Aussie um, to buy an apartment in Tokyo. A little bit more than that, and if you don't mind uh, being out of central Tokyo, you could, for example, in Yokohama, Kawasaki, Chiba, you could get a small residential block like a, a, a multi-unit building of uh, four six eight single or a single room with a living dining kitchen sort of thing and then you also at least have the land which you know in the future just gives you a lot more flexibility if you want to repurpose the place use it for short-term rentals if that area uh, allows it or maybe even tear it down and build your own family home so that's that's also an option as long as you're uh, not looking for central Tokyo because that would be a lot more there. Right, 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 right. Mm. That's actually, I mean, I mean, that's actually very interesting. Um, uh, I, I, I would love to, I would love to see more about the economics on paper. Um, but uh, maybe I'll send you a message on LinkedIn or something. And we can, uh, we can connect there. Yeah, happy to, or Instagram or Twitter. But yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best platform to connect. Yeah, with. Yeah, well, I sent you a message already on LinkedIn, so uh, hopefully we'll we'll connect later on. Awesome, J- Jason, you wanted to say something there? Yeah, so it's it's not the first time I've heard both of you guys um, say that if you want to invest, that's a different type of uh, property than a property you might want to live in. Uh, and if you want to live in the property, you're not going to make as much money, that suggests, and if you're going to uh, get an investment property, you're not really going to want to live in it. Um, that's, is that because it's just it's Japan? Because that's, that's not no. necessarily the case in Australia when I was growing up at least. So I'm going to say, I'm going to well, jump on this one. You know, it, it's not because of that. It's rental yields tend to be higher for smaller, older buildings. So if you want high returns, you want to be, you know, a smaller, like the, the closer they are to a one room apartment, the higher the, and an older building, the higher the rental yield is. As the property gets larger, right, the rental yield sort of drops. And also as the building gets newer, the rental yield drops. So the, if you're looking for your own personal, your own family home, chances are it's going to be a three LDK, maybe a modern building, right? If, so if you want straight up rental yield, then these smaller apartments are better. And that doesn't match with what people would like as their, as their primary residence for themselves. And especially if they're sort of at a, at a place where they can afford to invest in real estate, chances are they're a bit older, right? You know, thirties, forties, fifties, they have a family. So they're not going to want to live in a place that, like that's a, a, a one room sort of for a, a, a new graduate, um, you know, uh, and someone who's just joined the company for the first time, or maybe a student, etc. So that's that's where the conflict arises. Another way to look yeah, at it, that's... Jason. Another way to look at it is um, if you picture a graph which uh, has got size versus uh, property price or size versus rental. 
it rises a lot more sharply. And for that, Japan does accentuate that difference. It rises a lot more sharply as far as um, property prices go, as opposed to rental prices. So yes, you do get higher rent for a bigger and newer property. You might get, let's say, uh, let's say double or 1.7 times the rent that you would get for a smaller, older one, but the price would be three, four times as much, especially in Japan where they like everything new and the uh, space is a very valuable commodity. So the bigger the gap is between the rental price graph and the purchase price graph, the more compressed your yields become. Percentage-wise, you're getting more money in the bank, but you paid a lot more for the property. Right, so that makes sense. I understand what you're both saying, but it still it seems very Japanese uh, centric because in Australia, for example, you may uh, certainly want a positively geared property that you're making money on while it's an investment. You're really doing it for the, the, um, the capital growth, and so it is quite easy to buy a place that you can both live in and then rent out, vice versa. Well, think That's about it. If you want to think right? in Australian terms, think about uh, buying a, a cash cow. Let's say it's the same kind of property. Let's say it's a three-bedroom family home, and you're buying it in a, uh, uh, just to take the extreme, you're buying it in a mining town versus uh, central Sydney, right? So you're obviously going to get much more bang for your buck if you're renting it out in a mining town because the co property costs a lot less, and the people pay um, obviously not similar rent, but not as sharply decreased uh, whereas in, if you're buying, a, again, to take an extreme, if you're buying a luxury condo in Sydney, you're paying millions of dollars. And yes, the tenants are paying more than you know anybody would be paying in a suburb, but still not nearly enough to compensate you for the much higher property price. I, I, I get that dynamic, and that makes sense. But here, that, that dynamic stands alone in terms of you're buying a property for its, for its rental return for its capital growth, whereas in Australia, in both those examples, you quite likely would get significant capital growth while barely covering a mortgage in either of them, no matter how much you're in. Well, no, no, so that, that, I, I completely disagree. Um, if, if, the, if there is, a, you know, if the speculation is that there will be significant capital growth in a particular area, then that's where the capital prices appreciate because People are willing to put up with the low rents, right, and the negative cash flow in order to get the benefit of the capital growth of the property. So they're willing to fund the difference, the, the annual sort of loss. Their, loan, their mortgage repayment is going to be more than the rent. The rental yield is going to be quite low. But the reason it's low is because the capital price is high. And the reason it's high is because people are speculating that there's going to be significant capital growth. If you go to a region where the, the idea is that there's going to be little capital growth, then people aren't going to put their money in there, right? Because they, there's not going to be a lot of capital growth. So, well, it's, it's not forecast to be capital growth. Maybe there's no developments planned in the area, no big investments from the government planned in the area. So the rental yields are high because people aren't wanting to buy in that area and because there's no forecast of capital growth. So um, generally, there's it, you're not going to get a place with a high yield and um, high expectation of capital growth will not exist because as the market is changing, people are going to start investing their money there because it sounds like too good to be true. And after a few transactions, guess what? The capital, the, the, the purchase price has already increased, right? But the rents have not increased, just the purchase price has. So it adjusts to the market 
they call the you know the magic hand of the market. That, that's it, it's going to adjust. You know, any place that is hey, we speculate great capital. Uh, what's it called um, uh, capital growth, and the rental yields are really high. Well, then, if the property prices were two hundred thousand dollars, people are like hey, this is a hot spot, and the money the property is going to be sold for two or two fifty, three hundred, three fifty. Hold on, now the rental yield is no longer good. So you're not going to get a situation that the information moves too quickly in the market. You're not going to get win both um, on a typical market transaction, only if you get lucky. Yeah, I, and I, I get your dynamic, and it sounds logical. Uh, but I, I'm commenting because you're, you suggest that you can't achieve um, uh Buying a place that is both good to live in and good for your investment. Not that you can't; it's just less attractive for investment. Yeah, like you know, in, in Australia, for example, all through my twenties and thirties before I got here, almost everybody loved living in their place, and it was a good investment. Uh, but it was maybe not the best investment. Had they chose a place that's specifically for investment? Going to get the highest capital growth, highest yield. The right, many are, people like Ed asking these questions aren't necessarily sophisticated investors. Well, in Australia, when you say a good investment, in Australia, when you say a good investment, because the rental yields are generally low, I mean three, four, five percent at most. Um, in Australia, when you say good investment, you're talking about a place that does stand to grow. Uh, in price, not necessarily generates good rental yields. And Japan is a different right. environment in that aspect. And I thought that was worth pointing out because it, it, it seems uh, a pretty my or logical um, to an Australian that I can buy a place, make some money on it, or at least cover my mortgage while I'm not living in it, and then move into it. Whereas here, I, I agree and believe you guys that that is less likely to occur. And I believe that's because of the Japan market, not because of these countries. Uh, it is more extreme here, that's true. I'll just take a quick break to introduce, uh, to let Tracy introduce herself. Tracy, go for it. Hi, everyone. Apologies for being tardy. I had a client and the meeting went long, so my apologies. Shame on um, you for doing business, Tracy. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, during COVID, uh, all, any business is good business, so that's what I say right now. <laughs> Um, especially what I do. So that's a little segue to what I do. I am a Minpaku queen, so Minpaku is short-term rentals. So um, these are primarily people, like in the past it's been primarily people, inbound tourists, um, which of course died about 12 months ago. Um, and so now I look after people who are doing relocations, who are also... Um, in exile from their own countries, like if they're, if they're say, a Japanese expat who live in Japan, sorry, who, who live outside of Japan and they're, they're here for the duration of, um, of the lockdowns and state of emergencies. So they're, they're my clients right now. Um, but I also teach, train, coach, mentor on how to maximize a short-term rental income and profitability, uh, and that's globally as well as in Japan. Um, and uh, the other thing I do is I, I so if someone does have a primary residence or an investment property here and they're looking at um, uh, 
being able to use their property when they come to Japan and then have it rented on the short-term rental market while they're out of Japan, I'm the one to speak to about that. So I can help you set it up or I can manage it or I've got it or my team will manage it. So, sorry, I'm a bit, I'm a bit flustered. <laughs> that's, um, uh, that's, my, that's my very poor introduction today. You're, you're right. Catch your breath. And Ed, um, Tracy is the person to speak to. You might want to follow her or message her if you want to talk about a place uh, that you could potentially rent out while you're not here and then use for your own purposes when you are here. I will definitely, I will definitely do that. Unfortunately, I have to, I have to go. But thanks, thanks very much for your time, everyone. Pleasure. So, Daphne, do you want to do a room reset? Yeah, sure. Welcome, everyone. We are busy talking about commercial property versus residential property in the weekly room Japan real estate hosted by the amazing Ziv. Um, if you'd like to just see what we see, put your finger on the top of the screen and pull down so that it refreshes. That will show you exactly what we see from our side as well. If you've got any kind of question, that you'd like to ask us, please raise the little hand at the bottom of your screen, push that button, and we'd love to pull you up to answer any of your questions. As the currency here is on um, on Clubhouse, if anything that one of the moderators or any one of the speakers said and it resonates with you, please do give them a follow and DM them directly so that they can have a little bit more conversation with you and maybe add some more value to whatever it is that you are asking. And that is us today. Please do note that it is recorded. So if you do come on stage, we'll be using your first name only, um, and it is recorded. It will be on Ziv's podcast, Real Estate in Japan, as well as on my YouTube channel, Daphne Thompson. So, Ziv, being said that I have another question, can I shoot? Shoot away. Awesome. We all know that now with the pandemic, the biggest industry that got hit, specifically in property, is the hospitality, retail, and co-living spaces. Now, I know the trend has been going on that they repurpose these um, properties. What does that say for the investment market? For example, I personally think within the next six months or so, that's when the real opportunities will come. Unless the Olympics does happen, but what do you say? What is the, first of all, what is, what does these repurposed um, big buildings in the hospitality and things mean for us as investors? And two, when do you think would be the right time to start looking at these bigger type of investments? Um, well, it's a super layered question. I guess there's a few. Uh, first of all, you are right in the sense that most people who look at the uh, at the market from a macro level, so like the big um, financial firms and the big uh, real estate global real estate firms, they also assume that most of the distressed properties will hit the market towards the second half of the year, and um, that may be or may not be directly related to what happens with the Olympics because the way they're talking about it now, it looks like it's going to be a fairly limited um, event with only athletes allowed to participate, not too many crowds, definitely no tourists yet as far as the eye can see. So I'm not sure how much the um, Olympics in its current shape and form might affect that, but the situation is that those who could afford to, so the, the cashed-up owners and the big uh, funds, institutional investors and companies that own bigger and more expensive properties, uh, have been able to afford to uh, sit and wait. They were hoping for a sort of, um, uh, they call it a V-shaped crisis, like a, a plummet and then a quick, uh, a quick uh, um, recovery. 
that hasn't happened. So it is expected that a lot more of them will be offloading some assets toward the second half of the year. Having said that, the um, landlords who are not that cashed up, so if you think about your typical um, guest house operator or somebody who owns a uh, small residential block of units, and in many cases they also have a mortgage to pay, um, they can't afford to wait. So they already have been offloading uh, quite a few properties. The ones, the customers that we represent are usually um, people who are operating more on the slower end of the market. Uh, when I say lower, it's anywhere between, say, 20, 30, 40,000 units for a, a small non-Tokyo suburban or central medium city studio or one bedroom apartment on the older scale and anywhere up to say a million or a million and a half for um, small or a couple of small apartment buildings. Um, there are plenty of these deals to be had right now. So the people who can't afford to wait have been selling those and even if they don't list them at cheaper prices, they can definitely be negotiated to prices that we haven't seen in the last four, five, six years. And that's especially relevant to Tokyo, Osaka and Nagoya, not as much in other parts of the country. And with the second part of the uh, question, with the repurposing, so hotel properties, for example, are very easy to convert into simple residential blocks, actually quite higher end residential blocks, maybe smaller units, but nice buildings, well maintained. Uh, a lot of them have been doing that. Um, some of the share houses um, that are usually by nature um, bigger living areas have been converted into, again, high-end residential properties, whether it's houses or nice apartments. Um, so an apartment that has, you know, three or four bedrooms that were being used as individual rooms to be leased out to individual share um, partners are obviously, they can obviously make for nice, luxurious, large floor, print, uh, floor plan sort of apartments. So they've been doing that. Some restaurants and bar owners have been converting um, their uh, venues into shared office or shared working spaces. Um, what other repurposing? A lot of people in the retail space, and they've been doing it for a few years again because e-commerce has been going up. So retail, retail space owners have been leasing out to the types of shops and the types of um, retail uh, venues that cater to stuff that you just wouldn't normally buy online. So they're a lot more enamored with um, supermarket or foodstuff uh, shops these days than they were with uh, maybe, um, you know, daily goods or uh, shopping or clothing and accessories because those tenants have been suffering. Um, but that, that dictates more... Uh, um, a shift in the types of tenants that they let in, not necessarily a repurposing of the property itself. Um, shipping, logistic facilities, some of them have been converted to data centers, but data centers are not really an asset class that's really too accessible to the general public. It does take specific kinds of expertise to run these kinds of properties, so that's a fairly limited market. Um, and yeah, and again, like we mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, the mixed purpose, um, mixed purpose building, so buildings that have got small apartments in them, say studios or one bedrooms that have been, uh, been leasing out to either commercial or residential tenants, they've, they're obviously focusing more on residential tenants these days because commercial tenants are not doing as well rent-wise. Um, that's about it, I think. Have I answered what you were asking?
yeah, definitely. I just think it gives such a, a wide variety of opportunities for a lot of people that is in that position, but also this gives opportunities for different collaborations, I think, to make use of um, the new uh, kind of opportunities again. I just, I just, all I see in this, these specific situations is different ways to do business, different ways to invest, and different ways to expand and diversify your portfolio. So I am absolutely loving this. It is, it is now a very good time to uh, purchase smaller, cheaper properties, especially in Tokyo, Osaka, and Nagoya. They're a lot cheaper than we've seen uh, for quite a long time. And with that, does anybody else have any question? If you want to raise your hand, you're very welcome to the stage. Uh, we're happy to answer anything not necessarily related to commercial versus, versus residential, not even necessarily related to uh, investing, anything to do with Japanese real estate. You're very welcome to come on stage and ask. No one's got their hand up. I might just um, have people talking about the Olympics. Um, uh, I have a client that I'm talking to right now who is a, an Olympic staff member um, who's currently getting their currently getting their visa, um, and they plan to be here for seven months to work, um, but with the caveat that um, uh, that they may need to cancel if things don't go ahead. So um, even the staff are not really clear on. Um, on the status of the Olympics. And I think the next two weeks we'll, we'll know more. We've got Josh um, who just raised his hand. So Josh, yeah, what question would you like to ask? Hi, thank you for inviting me up here. I have just uh, one question about the uh, uh, the trend of the housing prices in, in Tokyo area especially. Um, so you mentioned that right now it's Tokyo, second Nagoya is, is the uh, Prices going down. It's good to buy for, for investment about. properties. It's it's a little bit different in the homeowner space. Oh, okay. So investment property means the uh, more you talk about, like a one bedroom uh, apartment or commercial investing. Commercial investments, um, definitely. So offices, especially tier B and tier C, um, they're definitely feeling the pain. Mm -hmm. Um, as do retail and hospitality properties. But if you're buying into retail and hospitality at the moment, you really need to be able to ride out the storm uh, because they're not doing well at all. So you might be buying them very cheaply, um, but you're going to have to wait a bit until you can get some income from them. But uh, in the office space, definitely. And uh, as far as residential is concerned, then yes, the uh, smaller and older unit types um, are definitely available for cheaper prices in those locations with family homes or family-sized homes, uh, not as much. Emil was uh, speaking to that before. Okay, um, can I just add one more question then? Um, so, so the, uh, uh, did you see any potential similarity of the uh, um, housing pricing trend? Like when we see the, uh, uh, in the past, let's say, uh, Lehman Shark time, the financial crisis back in 2008, uh, in, you know, in, in, a, in the U.S., uh, we had about about maybe 16 months time lag to get about the bottom of the price in, in the U.S. side at that time. Now we see totally different uh, market trend and like a, a rural side, countryside has more High pricing, housing prices, so it's very difficult to predict in the U.S. side. Did you see any, um, like, a, especially for the residential housing prices, that um, did you see any potential uh, trend that um, continue to go up, or 
it's going to be going to maybe going down down the road for the next six months and twelve months. Um, well, the dynamics are a little bit different. If you want to compare, for example, um, let's say these days in Japan as opposed to ten years ago um, mm-hmm. w- with the GFC. So. When the GFC hit, um, it obviously hit Japan as well, but Japan was at that point at the very bottom of its two and a half uh, decades of deflationary cycle, right? So there wasn't really that much further to drop for Japan. The situation is very different now because um, in the bigger metropolitan centers, uh, prices have been going up since, let's say, late 2012 when um, Abe first came into power and Abenomics was kicked off and um, prices have been going up in Tokyo and Osaka specifically, they've pretty much reached their um, pre-bubble levels before the pandemic hit. So those areas, again, have a lot of room to drop, which they didn't have 10 years ago. And other areas, for example, um, uh, Fukuoka, which has been a rising star since, to, again, since late 2012, but still has quite a bit of room to catch up uh, to Tokyo and Osaka. And it also hasn't been affected as much by the pandemic because... It is an area where people um, can live with a bit more space around them and so forth. So we haven't felt the pain here. Um, but suburban and uh, suburban and countryside homes, um, depends on what type of countryside you're talking. I mean, people still need to be within reasonable distance to a city, even the ones that are relegated to be working from home. In Japan, they do need to come to the office, uh, you know, once, twice, three times a week. So they can't really be out in Inaka. So... The trend of uh, those tiny country towns emptying out and prices is, prices hitting rock bottom there hasn't really reversed. In fact, the government is trying to reverse it by trying to convince people to move to these areas. Um, but that's been limited success so far. So I'm not a big expert on the U.S. property market, but I think the fundamentals are a little bit different here uh, as opposed to there. Thank you very much. Not a problem. Does anybody else have any questions to ask? Otherwise, we might slowly start wrapping up the room, unless there's any topic that you want us to discuss or any comments that you want to make. If you do, um, do raise your hands, and we'll invite you up to the stage. I have a little question for you, Ziv, um, and J- Jason, perhaps. What What do you think is the uh, the movement of all of this spare office space moving forward. Um, will, will companies come back, do you think, and um, start to occupy those again? Or, we, you know, um, or is there going to be a lot of um, very unhappy people in Modi buildings, etc.? Um, well, there hasn't been that much of a crisis in the office space yet. Um, rents have slightly dropped. Um, Tier 2 office spaces are doing worse than Tier A. But um, if you're looking at, um, like, Mori Building and so forth, they haven't really been feeling um, the pain as much, or at least to date. It might, again, change towards the second half of the year. But um, companies in Japan don't tend to fire people. I mean, we're not seeing, you know, wave of people, waves of people being fired and... Um, uh, defaulting on mortgages in the residential space. Uh, we are seeing some companies closing or downsizing or, um, you know, shuffling their office spaces to other locations. But these are usually the less cash-rich companies. So, again, to, to the topic of uh, Mori buildings and so forth, they haven't been 
affected to uh, that much of a degree, at least at this point in time? And there's, there's been a big, uh, high-profile sale of Dentsu's um, flagship building, but apparently that, that's, all that might have been affected, it, it was going ahead anyway. Yeah, that was in the books for a while, I think. Logic suggests there'll be more people working from home more often, and uh, certainly my customer is um, a large Japanese retailer, and we had um, they had just moved IT into a new building, multiple floors. I've been working from home now for a year. They have shut down at least one of those floors, and we now only have a couple of seats for six people seats that we can use if we want to come back, but we're perm you know, more or less permanently work from home now. So it's got to have some effect. I would imagine that it does in IT and uh, professional services and so forth, definitely. Um, but I think a lot of companies are also um, not necessarily downsizing, but maybe spreading themselves out. So instead of the one big uh, central headquarters office, they're getting a few smaller offices in more suburban locations. Um, because A, they don't need as many people coming into the office and B, um, they want to cater to the employees that are working from those areas of the city, working from home uh, most of the week. So there's been shifts within the office space, um, but people are still, um, still very bullish about it. I mean, um, there doesn't seem to be the sentiment that the, um, the office uh, space is going anywhere. It definitely still is... Um, not as highly praised as uh, residential these days, but definitely not uh, not in crisis mode. So there you have it, another awesome clubhouse session. And again, we're holding these every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Japan time. Uh, we would love for you to join us if you're free, and do let us know if you need an invite. And if you're thinking about moving to Japan for work or to open a business, or if you are already in Japan on a temporary visa of some sort and you want to switch to a more permanent one, or for any other business and visa-related inquiry, uh, you should contact our sponsor, Hiroshi Shimizu. Shimizu-san is an immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener, and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and consultation related to these topics. He's already done exactly that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to Shimizu-san on info at h-shimizu-office.com or just pick up the phone, give him a call on 092-732-7755. And if you're calling from out of Japan, that's plus 8192 732-7755. And also, if you've got a product or service or project that you'd like more English speakers in Japan or those who are interested in Japan to know about, drop us a line and we will share our sponsorship programs with you. They're very affordable and they'll give you immediate exposure to thousands of uh, Japan-centric ears every month. And that's it from us for today, folks. So hope you've enjoyed that discussion and the Q&A. We hope to have you with us again on the Japan Real Estate Podcast and or on our weekly Wednesday Clubhouse Room. Do share the podcast with your networks if you think they may find interest in it. And we would absolutely love it if you could just hop over for one second to the iTunes store, give us a star rating and or a short review. Your word of mouth is what keeps this podcast going. Wishing you a great day or night ahead. Yoshiku. Yoshiku.